We are so glad you're here. If you are watching online, please check in. If you're watching on YouTube, there's a live chat feature. There's the word. And we would love it if you would check in and just say what town you're in, what town or country. It could be that you're in a country we haven't reached yet or didn't know we have. So that would be lovely. We are going to launch something next month. It's all a part of the next big thing that's been up there, that video for months now. Uh, we're going to call it Welcome Home, but more about that next month. Doing a little bit of that this week, and we ask your prayers for me and for our people over this next few days. Um, this is all occasioned by, we finally, after much prayer and a whole lot of work by Tammy and Ramona Matthews, I was approved to have a during the week contact visit with Bobby Hampton on death row in Louisiana State Penitentiary. That's going to be on Tuesday. Now heading that direction, I thought, let's just slow it up a bit and visit some people. So tonight, uh, we're, we've only got four or five people lined up for it, but anybody is free to come. If you are in north or north central Alabama and you'd like just to come by and say hi, you send me an email. We're not going to give you an address over the air because there are bizarre people out there. But you can email me, Patrick, at our safe harbor, and I will let you know the where and the when. And then on Monday night, going to be meeting people in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Ridgeland is just to the north of Jackson, Mississippi. And we've already got some people lined up there. So if you're in any of those areas or you're within an hour or so drive and we're just going to talk for a couple hours, nothing heavy, just to say hello and meet each other face to face. And you might be able to get to meet some other people around that you didn't even know were part of this same journey. So uh, if you're going to be in central Mississippi or in north or north central Alabama and you'd like to say hi, you just send me an email at patrick at rsafeharbor.com. Now, this is the first Sunday of Advent. Christmas is, without a question, my favorite time of year. This year, it seems to be barreling toward me like a train coming off the tracks and running down a mountain, uh, in, in a good way. In other words, it's coming fast, and I, I love for it to stay longer. Uh, I would really love the commercials about Medicare uh, things to go away sooner, and then we could really celebrate the Christ child. And, and by the way, I didn't drink any water at Camp Lejeune, so I don't need that either. But this is the first Sunday of Advent. Now, if you're, for those of you that are in traditions that do not celebrate a liturgical year, the, you may not know what the term means. The term Advent means an arrival. It can also mean a breaking into, in a positive way, a breaking into something. There, think of um, you know, a hostage and the police kick in the doors and they've broken in to save you. That's an Advent. And Advent would be any arrival, like the birth of a child. When we speak of Advent, we are speaking of the birth of Christ. It makes no difference to us what calendar date that would be. We have chosen over the centuries, December 25th, to celebrate, and that's as fine as any other. And I'm glad that we do. So, Advent, the birth of Christ. This beautiful, wonderful, mysterious event that occurred in Bethlehem of Judea just over 2,000 years ago. When, when a story is told again and again and again and again by ministers and teachers and parents, it can be very difficult to find a way to make the story powerful and resonate and keep the audience's attention. 
because our brains skip ahead. Our brains have already heard so many, this is the point of the story, lessons, that we skip some of the story and maybe we skip some of the power. But today, I want us to recenter ourselves and take a look at this story through the eyes of those who hear the bells and see the lights and wonder if the story is for them. One of the disciplines I put myself through the last couple of weeks in getting ready for this lesson was to watch a vlogger, that's a video blogger on YouTube, named Indigo Traveler. Indigo is just like the color, Indigo Traveler. And I'd recommend that you, you see it. There's, there's no language, there's nothing offensive there, but you will see poverty and crime. Because this man goes and walks the streets of South Sudan, of Haiti, of the forgotten places. And you see the forgotten children. And you see the forgotten parents. And you see the horrible conditions that they live in. And some of those faces have locked into my brain and will not leave. And I consider that a blessing and that I should not forget them. And I wonder, looking at that face, as they stand in filth and they have to bathe in filth and they have to duck as the gunfire from the gangs breaks out, would they hear the bells and see the lights and think this was for them? Sometimes we really need to go there because that's where Jesus goes. Jesus goes into the darkness. John chapter 1 is one of the most remarkable pieces of literature on the planet. John masterfully weaves the story of Christ as a battle between light and dark, and the light has broken into the darkness. To help us get a hold of this, because most of us, especially you're watching on devices, you know, you're not living in those, um, those barrios and those those different areas of zero hope. So we need to connect with somebody. So I thought of an old white guy. There you are. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Often considered one of the greatest poets that America has produced. Others believe that he was far too simplistic because his stuff rhymed. Okay. There are also people that don't like Norman Rockwell. It's all right. You, you can not like who you don't like. But I want to tell you the story of one of the carols that you might hear, and might have already heard, this Advent season. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a broken man. He sat down at his desk in utter despair. The year was 1863. Americans were slaughtering each other in numbers that beggar imagination and would not be equaled again until the lights went out in Europe and civilization dissolved into trench warfare in the Great War, World War I. Longfellow had suffered well before this time. He had married and, and made a good marriage. And in their 20s, life looked rosy ahead because poets back then were very respected and well paid. They, everything looked bright. They were both of a particular class in England that their futures were fairly assured. And then his wife miscarried, and complications of the miscarriage, she died. And he was left alone. 
He was a man who needed somebody to love. And he found Frances Appleton a few years later. She was not as interested in finding him. She was a very independent woman, very strong woman, educated woman. He courted her for seven years. He proposed after a few months. But when she said no, he kept courting her. And there was a bridge across um, a small river, in Scotland we call it a burn, that he would walk across to court her. That became known, it, its original name was basically forgotten. It became known as the Lover's Bridge, because he would not give up. And then one day he received a message from her saying, if you wish, I will marry you. He did not wait for a taxi. He walked 90 minutes and crossed the bridge, and they married. It was a happy marriage. It was, they were a good match for each other. They had six children together. They had a limited amount of time together. Because Francis Appleton was sitting one day, now Francis Appleton Longfellow, was sitting one day wanting to preserve memories of her children. And she was putting a lock of her daughter's hair into an envelope, as one did at the time, and sealing it with sealing wax. But the pot got knocked over. The candle fell on her dress. And there were no flame-retardant fabrics in the day. She was severely burned and later died from those burns. It was not a good death. Two years later, Longfellow is still in mourning, barely able to function, when he watched his nation tear apart and cannons fire and slaughter begin. He was despairing of good in the universe as brothers killed brothers and as their widows and their children cried and starved to death. Making it even worse. Could it be worse? Well, yeah, when it becomes even more personal. His son, Charles Appleton Longfellow, wanted to join the army. Now, back then, you, in this particular class, they were now Americans, and there, there's a particular class that you don't do things unless you get the blessing of the father. And he repeatedly asked his father for his blessing, for him to enlist. They were both very anti-slavery. They both felt it was a righteous cause, but Longfellow said no. No, I cannot give you my blessing to kill another human being. It was months later that he would receive another letter. This one from his son saying, I have enlisted anyway. Without your blessing. Eight months later, in November of 1863, his son was severely wounded in the Battle of Mine Run. He lived, but was crippled and damaged by his wounds for the rest of his life. One month later, we arrive at Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, sitting at his desk. It has been two years since a horrible accident that took his wife. Just a month since the grievous wound that has forever changed his son's life. And a war is grinding on that seems like it will never end. And then, as he sat, he heard the bells. 
Christmas bells. And from his heart and in his pain flowed a song, a poem, actually. He did not write notes. A poem that we know as, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. He did not name it that. He named it Christmas Bells. I think the new name is better. Remember, this is an Advent sermon. This is not a music history sermon. You see, Longfellow was speaking for me and for many, many, many of you who are listening when he wrote these words. Our Christmas Eve service will be a very different kind of Christmas Eve service. And in some ways, this lesson today is a commercial for that. I certainly hope you make time to check in at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve. We're doing our Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve. We figured, you know, tradition. I've actually had people ask us when our Christmas Eve service would be. And I thought, well, you know, we thought 24th would be good. Five o'clock on that time, on that day central. But you can watch it live or later. That's one of the blessings here that the team puts together for you. But regardless, we need to openly talk sometimes about pain and loss in the midst of the Christmas bells, in the midst of the lights. Not to be a downer, because I believe that you can rejoice in the middle of darkness and pain. Holocaust survivors have taught us that. So survivors of war have taught us that. Cancer survivors have taught us that. Prisoners are gathering today to study these notes. And they will sing. There's even a classic piece of American literature that is entitled, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. So, I want you to, want you to hear what I'm about to say very plainly. God sees you. God hears you. Advent is all about you. The comfortable, well-fed people with secure futures weren't looking for Jesus. It was those that needed a miracle. It was the impossible. Those who had to have the impossible. That's who Jesus came to. Who did the angels announce the birth of Jesus? You know, to, to whom did the angels announce the birth of Jesus? Well, shepherds. Well, that means nothing to us, does it? Shepherds everywhere. They had sheep. They had goats. Of course it was. We don't get it because we don't live in the first century. Shepherds were looked upon as unreliable. They, their testimony was not allowed in courts. They were considered landless, rootless people who could not be counted upon. And so who did the angels go to? It's rather like Jesus seeking out the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman thrown away by a series of men living outside of even her community, small as that was. And Jesus went, and she was the first one that we have any record of, him saying that he was the Christ, the anointed one. He announced himself to her, the same way the angels did to the shepherds. And we always think about the wise men coming from far away, and that's a great story as well, but they don't get there on Christmas. It takes them another year or two to get there. They arrive at a house. They arrive in a different scene. But don't run outside and change your nativity scene. I like them. I don't, 
you can put Snoopy and whatever out there. I, it, I love the celebration, but let's remember that in the story, Jesus came to the ones that the indigo traveler talks to. The pictures in your mind of the poor. Because God knows it's hard down here. I remind him of that. I literally say that to him in many of my prayers. I'll say, God, it is so hard. And every now and then I'll even say, go, go ask Jesus. It's hard down here. And if you're thinking, what kind of prayer is that? It is the prayer of a son who is assured of his father's love so I can talk to him plainly. Do not approach God timidly in prayer. He is ready. He's ready for the wrestling if, you, if that's what you need. We have an entire book in our Bible called Lamentations. It, I find it fascinating because when you go look at other, other religious literature, you really don't get this. Oh, but he's not done. How about the stories of Jeremiah? Story of Job. In fact, the story of almost everybody in the Old Testament. It's a mess. And then the theological center of the Old Testament is the book of Psalms. That was their prayer book. It was their song book. And it was their font of theological knowledge. It was the best known by far of any of the books to the common people. We need to really stress this. Uh, Philip Yancey, great writer, wrote a book, The Bible Jesus Read, where he looks at the Psalms. And a couple of the other books was all he really had. Psalms. And what do you find in the Psalms? Well, over one third of them are lamentations. They're laments. They're, saying, they're telling God how hard it is down here. And a couple of them don't resolve. I want to use the word resolve a couple times today. In songs, there's a resolution. There's a, there's a resolving. And it, uh, so you can leave them hanging on a cord, but normally they don't. They'll bring them down and they'll close the cord. I know of a couple very famous songs that do not, that are wrapped around Christmas. One of them, Mary and I did, and you'll hear that on Christmas Eve. And that's sometimes called the Coventry Carol, but its ancient name is Lule Lule, which is a carol written, the oldest carol we have in the English language, by some measure. A carol written as part of a play sung by the women whose children are killed in Bethlehem because they happen to be male and two years and under. Now that's a dark a dark play and a dark song. No wonder we almost never hear the words to that. We usually just hear the tune. But the tune itself, it's, it's, an, it's a minor. It's in a minor key. If you don't know what that is, minor keys are warm, haunting, evocative keys. But then every verse ends in a major. And it's, it's a jolt. And then you slide back in. Those songs were written like that to keep you unsettled, to remind us that it is unsettled down here. The other tune is one you will hear today, and that is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. There are four different tunes that are very well known for it, and the tune I'm using is perhaps the best one. I, how, how could I determine that? I'm not sure. Uh, but it hangs upon a seventh chord, which you don't end songs with seventh chords unless you want it to not resolve. 
And Wadsworth, Wadsworth Longfellow was not resolving. He was pouring out. And it was left hanging. Because there are some answers we're not going to get. Not until we get to heaven. We're, we're going to be kept in the dark about some things. I don't like that. And I'm not going to stand by the graveside and look at you and smile and say it's all going to be great. I believe it's all going to be great. But the fact is from here to there, not so much. Not so much. But please remember, we'll talk about this on Sunday, uh, Christmas Day. To get from the cradle to the crown, Jesus had to face a cross. And he said, follow me. There is a cross between the cradle and the crown. For all of us. Something is broken. Something is wrong. Paul said that all creation moans together as if in the pain of childbirth. Childbirth. There's a celebration. A moment of celebration and great joy that's also attended by pain, worry, and distress. As I've said many times, when our, our first child was born um, in, in Govan, a section of Glasgow, Scotland, and all the little nurses were, were saying, oh, it'll be a beautiful thing, you'll be loving this. They lied. They lied, they lied, they lied. It was horrible. They were screaming, cursing, sweating, and Cammy did some of that too. But <laughs> then they hand you this little purple wrinkled bag thing. And they say, it looks like you. And I'm going, it's not even inflated. Where's... But eventually, through all the pain to struggle and all that other, there is joy. No wonder Paul would use that illustration. And no wonder that's the way God broke in down here. And he made a trip. We've all made. Because every human being on earth has made the journey from woman to earth. Only a woman can usher a new soul upon the planet. And he came through a woman. Jesus took time to make the same journey. His advent was like ours. Because all of us arrive on this planet due to or because of the actions, plans, and dreams of someone else. He did the same. Once here, we have to find our way to faith across broken ground. And we are not alone. We're making the same journey as everybody else. Everybody else. It may look like my journey is not the same as that of billionaires. And my journey is not the same as the desperately hungry and poor, trapped in unending poverty. But we all have a variety of crosses before the crown arrives. We have people in our in-person fellowship and you online right now who are facing cancer. We have people who are facing the illness or the loss of their children. This week we have prayed for people who have lost relatives, who have lost children to suicide. We have prayed for those who are in harm's way in battlefields, or on the sea. Longfellow had the words, but all of us know the tune, because it's in our heart. We know what he said. And here's what you need to understand here. What I need to understand. Why should I preach at you? We all need this. God 
knows that tune too. Have you ever thought about how horrible it would be to be God? To love so well and to be rejected so often. That when you draw near, they'll say, you're smothering us, give us room. And when you back off, they'll say, where is God? If he loved us, he'd be here. We are not a species that can be satisfied. C.S. Lewis said it was because we had a God-shaped vacuum in our heart. And we keep trying to fill it with other things that don't fit the shape. I think he had a point. But what I want to do is remind you. That God understands pain. God understands it. And I know we wish that he would snap his fingers and change things. But you really don't. You really don't. Because where do you draw that line? If you have heart disease and diabetes and yet you want a Big Mac and some fries. Do you want God to lock the door at McDonald's and you can't get in? Do you? Or do you want to make your own choice? And inside, maybe, are all the super skinny people that need calories, but he won't let them out? I don't know. Where do you draw that line? God has given us a lot of freedom, but he knew that wouldn't be enough. And so he made the advent. He broke in. Not like a Marvel comic movie. This isn't the arrival of a Superman. This is the arrival of a suffering servant. Isaiah 53. In its entirety. Who. Who has believed our message. And and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty. to, To attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. Rejected by mankind. A man of suffering. Very familiar with pain. He was like one from whom people hide their face. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God. Stricken by him. Afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. and Each of us have turned to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent. He did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, who of his generation has protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he'd done no violence. There's no deceit in his mouth. Yet, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he'll see his offspring. He'll prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand 
after he suffered. After he suffered, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By his, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered among the transgressors and bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Did you catch it? Well, there's a lot to catch there. But it looks like Isaiah 53 is speaking of the cross. And indeed he is. There is no question. But he also says, after he's born this, and after he gets the crown, he will bear our iniquities. Jesus has never stopped doing the work he began, who knows, but we always center it at the cross. He still is struggling for us. He still is hurting for us. He still takes our iniquities from us so that we don't have to bear them when it comes time to cross our last river. Jesus was and did all that was in that chapter. He was not known for good looks or charisma like Absalom. He wasn't known for his cunning and bravado like David. He chose people that were like him, that the world ignored, the world mistreated, the world threw away, that governments would not give any right or freedom to. And he looked them in the eye and he promised them heaven. And that's what Advent is. He came to tell us the story of God's love and that God gets to write the final chapter of our story. I believe those faces that are haunting me as I'm speaking right now will be saved, will enter glory. And I do believe with all my heart that they're going to like heaven more than I do because they needed it more. And I had a lot more heaven down here than they did. Randy Harris, in one of his famous lines attacking the richness of Christians, says that most Christians he knows aren't longing for heaven because it will require a downgrade in their standard of living. Sometimes hyperbole helps, and I think that's what he was going for. Jesus came to tell us of God's love and that God would write that story for us, but hear this. And I don't like this, but it is reality. Resolution may not come during your lifetime. The pieces may not fall into place like some cosmic spiritual version of Tetris. Justice may not be seen to be done. Good people will die. Evil people will prosper. But the bells of Christmas will still ring because the promise is real. Jesus came here and he went through it all just as you are right now. And in his last moments on the cross, even he felt deserted by God. But he still commended his soul into his father's hands. And in the garden, he said that magical phrase, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that made all the difference. 
To all of you who are excited about Christmas, I am too. We keep telling our kids not to get us any presents. They keep not believing us. Because presents is what it's all about when you're young, isn't it? It's exciting. When you get old, you keep thinking, where where am I going to put this? (laughs) And you're just going to find it when I die. So here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's... I, I, I tried to talk to uh, Cammie's parents. They are irredeemably generous. And I said, you know, Christmas, we all just should stand up, get in the middle of the room, and exchange $100 bills, because that's all that's happening here. Well, for those of you who aren't looking forward to it, or who are just hurting physically, mentally, or spiritually, you need to know something. I am too. I rejoice and I have pain. And I can say that openly because my salvation and the good news of Advent is not dependent upon me having a good day. And it's not dependent upon me knowing where my next meal is coming from. And it's not dependent upon me precisely following a bunch of rules that somebody got from some books. No. Advent isn't dependent on that at all. Advent is the story that the bells tell. A cosmic warping childbirth. Tears that turn to joy. Light in the darkness as a star centers over the place where the suffering servant and the savior of the world is born. I want to talk to you about the song one last time. Not really talk about I just want to read you the song. I heard the bells. And by the way, you cannot find this version easily. This is the original version in the original order. For some reason, and I think it's because people want resolution and they want it upbeat. They take the seven verses and turn them down to as low as three. I looked at perhaps 30 different versions and was just astonished at how they would rewrite it to make it happy. Or lest what it is. But here are the words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till singing ringing, singing on its way. The world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime, a peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each evil cursed mouth, the cannon thundered to the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Then pealed the bells, More loud and deep. God is not dead. Nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. 
the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, we're with you. At our safe harbor, we're with you.